You may have heard of us, but you might not know Bank First is a community bank that has no fee ATM access, interest, and perks earning checking accounts. With online and mobile banking, mortgages for every stage of life, and modern business banking for businesses, small and big. We keep it all together to put you first. Do you bank with us? You should. Bank First is an equal housing lender and a member FDIC. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Farm Bureau, go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. Agents in all counties throughout the state of Mississippi. Great customer service. If you're looking for home, life, auto, whatever you need in the insurance world, check out our good friends at Farm Bureau at favorites.com. Alongside Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Charlie, dogs win last night, come from behind fashion, went on the road and won at Memphis. Didn't look good to start with. You're down four to nothing going to the top of the sixth inning, but able to piece together six runs in the sixth inning, six runs on two hits in that sixth inning, and able to turn it around and win 10 to four over Memphis. So I guess the key for Mississippi State going forward is to get Chris Lamonis ejected early. <laughs> and he was pretty adamant, was he not? That's as adamant as I've seen him, although. I keep telling people all the time, the people that had this idea that Chris Lamonis wasn't fiery, that he wasn't emotional, they just weren't hearing what was coming out of his mouth because he has a degree of intensity that a lot of fans just don't see. And I think what you saw last night wasn't necessarily a new Chris Lamonis. It was more of him just giving us a peek of what's going on on the inside. And, well, he had every right to be upset about it. That's one, though, I kind of think as an umpire, when you blow a call like that, first of all, you need to understand that you blew it. And second, you just got to wear it a little bit. You just got to take it, and you got to let them say their piece and then move on. That was my problem last night is, hey, you blow a call that is an egregious blown call at this level. And then you get rabbit ears, and and so that's uh, yeah that, but hey, he, he was justified. It was it was justified, no doubt. And and then he got his money's worth after he was tossed, and so state wins last night, ten to four. Here's the thing that stands out to me, Charlie. That's really becoming a trend. We hit two home runs in the game last night. That's six times in our last seven games that we've hit multiple home runs. We hit three in the second game at Georgia, three in the Sunday game at Georgia. We had five against Southern, three against Alabama on Friday, two against Alabama on Saturday. Did not have a home run in the Sunday game against Bama, and we lost that game, and then we win. So is this going to be a team? I'm just just looking at everything, and last night we only had six hits. Are we beginning to see the trend of where Mississippi State is going offensively? And it's very similar to what you see around college baseball of, hey, we're waiting for that big hit. So we're becoming the college baseball version of Joey Gallo now. We're going to hit 50 home runs and strike out 300 times. I hope that's not the case. But, hey, if we are, here's the good news. The ball tends to fly better later in the year, right? Get a little warmer. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we're due to pick it up then offensively. I don't know. That, that, that'll be interesting to watch. It doesn't feel like we have a ton of guys who are just pure contact hitters right now. 
what we're saying about six weeks, two months, whatever, is we're going to have a lot of 15, 13 games on Saturdays or on Friday nights or on Sundays or any time we play. Well, I don't know. I was kind of hoping uh, maybe that we would increase our run production, but also that we were going to start pitching it better too. So I don't know. Maybe that's asking a little much, right, for the the pitching to improve as fast a rate as the hitting we hope will. Yeah. And, hey, we got Casey Hunt back last night. Kind of got him his toe dipping in the water coming back, and so that, that's, that's a positive. Hey, Charlie, I was looking at it online. So many times we think – that when baseball's not going on or football's not going on, that there's nothing going on in Startville. But that's really not the case. No, and you know what I thought of you because I was driving through town today and I saw the sign for a touch-a-truck deal. You remember we got a call. You actually got a call about uh, Tracks Plus at a touch-a-truck event down in the Jackson area. Well, they're having a touch-a-truck event here this weekend in Startville. It's going to be – Held on Greenfield Street at Suddeth Elementary. It's going to go from 10 to 2. Here's the thing I like, though. They have a horn-free period. So from 10 to noon, they're not going to be blowing the horns and the sirens. So if you got the kids that don't like the, the noise, you get them out there then. On the other hand, you like the kids that came for some bells and whistles. Keep them after lunch. You'll have something going on. That's kind of like taking the kids to, uh, to get Christmas pictures and wanting the hour where Santa Claus is not there because they're scared to death of Santa Claus. Yeah, so, I mean, kind of accommodate all kinds. Hey, I'll tell you something I'm glad to see. I'm glad life's getting back to normal. You're going to probably be surprised by this. But one of the things I've actually enjoyed, and I never wanted to do it until we were in New York. My wife forced me to go to a Broadway show. And all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? That was pretty cool. I kind of like that. And a lot of times, you know, kind of you start hearing about community theater, and you think that's kind of a joke. But I'll tell you what, they've got an outstanding group here. They've got a musical going on 9 to 5. So um, that's another thing. It's actually running, I think, for the next couple of weeks, all the way through April 9. So that's another cool thing. They, they, they have a really talented group of people here. They've got their own building on Main Street. So that's, you know, there's all sorts of things going on here in town. There's a, a 5K MSU veterans are putting on this weekend. So, yeah, look, it, it's obviously not the same, but I'll tell you this. The line at the Startville Cafe is still long on Saturday mornings, whether we got a game or not, and there's still stuff to do. Yeah, plenty of great restaurants. If you're looking to plan your visit, go to startville.org. All right, Charlie, this week is kind of like a baseball session. When we come back, we'll talk to Wes Thickpen, played at Mississippi State 2010-2011. He's the head coach at Jones College down in Jones County in the junior college ranks. And then later in the show, we'll also talk to Chris Maloney, Spent time here at Mississippi State back in the early 1980s and then spent time in the minor leagues as a manager and then with a big league club with the St. Louis Cardinals for a while there. And so today's a day we learn a little bit about baseball. You know, Wes Thigpen, I think that group, if you go back and you look at the success Mississippi State had, you know, we talk and we'll talk about this with Chris Maloney. You don't have the 85s without the 83s and the 81s. But, you know, we don't have that run that we had in 13, 14, you know, 15, 16 through there without 10 and 11. You know, that group to me, you look at some of those guys, your Connor Powers, your Jared Parks, your Wes Thickpen. I mean, those guys helped turn this program around. And unfortunately for some of them, 
they had to be gone before we made it back to Omaha. But I think that group deserves a lot of credit for helping change the trajectory of MSU baseball. All right, so when we come back, we'll talk to Wes Thigpen. And then with Chris Maloney, you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We're in the Farm Bureau studios. And now time for a guest line segment. We're going to talk to former Bulldog catcher Wes Thickpin, now the head coach at Jones College. In this conversation, brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish you can find anywhere. Right here in the Mississippi Delta over in Itabina, Mississippi. You can find it at great grocery stores throughout the southeast, but also great restaurants as well. And this week we highlight our friends at the Catfish Hole in Fayetteville and in Alma, Arkansas. So you know Alma, if you're coming from Little Rock and you're going to Fayetteville, right before you get to Fort Smith where 40 and 49 meet, you've got Alma, Arkansas, the Catfish Hole right there in Alma. But then if you want to go all the way to Fayetteville, of course the dogs play in the hogs this weekend, and we got a bunch of folks going up that way. So make your plans to go to the catfish hole at both Alma and Fayetteville. And the thing about the catfish hole, they got the catfish steaks, they got the catfish fillets. It is absolutely fantastic. Whenever I go to Fayetteville to see Mississippi State play Arkansas, whether it be basketball, baseball, whatever, I always make a point to go see our friends at the catfish hole on Weddington Drive in Fayetteville. It's great stuff, and when you're eating that catfish, you know it comes from the Mississippi Delta and our good friends at Heartland Catfish. So let's talk to former Bulldog Wes Thigpen, played at Mississippi State 2010-2011, now the head coach at Jones College down in Jones County. Hey, Wes, appreciate you joining us. Hey, Barry, I'm glad to be here. Glad we can can make it work and get together. Absolutely. And so, okay, I look back at 2010-2011. And that was really the time frame that everything kind of turned back to the positive for Mississippi State. And I think in 2011, that was a team that went to the Super Regional in Florida. Just briefly, we asked this to just about everybody about how you ended up at Mississippi State. Of course, you were a junior college guy. What made you come to Startville? Yeah, you know, grew up in South Louisiana, ended up at um, Reading Community College, really via Chad Kaye, who's been a Mississippi guy forever, but from my hometown kind of hooked us up and connected us there. And, you know, from there, I guess, you know, moving closer um, to Starfield, got the opportunity to play in front of the, the new coaching staff with John Cohen and Chris Thompson, uh, Lane Burroughs. And obviously they saw something that, that they liked and I, I'm really excited that he, they did. Um, and then, you know, after never had been on campus in Starfield before, but after going to visit it, it was a no brainer. You look at that 2011 team, I told Bart earlier that you caught at least three big leaguers, I guess four if you count Hunter Renfro, who threw a little bit that year. When when you think back to 11, though, and you, you see a Kendall Graveman, a Chris Stratton, a Chad Gerardo, did you see future major leaguers in those guys at that time, or was it just something that kind of developed later? Yeah, I think the only, I think the obvious one was maybe a Chris Stratton, who kind of had that, that it factor as soon as he was on campus and they really got to get thrown in a fire as a freshman, but all of those guys really had the pitch early on in their career. Did I think Kendall Graveman and Chad Gerardo would be big leaguers? I, I don't know, but man, they put the work in and, and worked in with Butch every day, and they got better every day. And, and you see it, their work ethic and stuff is what got them there. And obviously, as they got older and more mature, 
their stuff got better and better and, and they just you know they continue to grow and Kendall is one of the hardest workers that probably ever stepped on campus there and um, in his mind he was always going to be a big leaguer and there's no doubt there and that really helped him for sure and obviously the velocity came and um, the stuff was always there just kind of waiting on that velocity to tick and it, it obviously has in a big way for him it's awesome to watch those guys succeed and you know can sit back and say got to catch some big leaguers and funny story about Hunter Renfro is me and Cody Freeman were the two catchers that year and and he was throwing like 95, 96, 97, and he would throw it everywhere in bullpens. We'd play, you know, I call it paper, scissors, rock, or Rochambeau to see who had to catch him because we wanted no part of it. <laughs> it was going everywhere. That uh, that last weekend that you played at Mississippi State, when we went down to Gainesville, played in that three-game series, Vickerson hit the walk-off home run in game two, and then we come back. We've got a lead in the, in the third game. And I think back to Caleb Reed throwing a changeup. Preston Tucker was the batter. And, you know, he, he rips it out, three-run home run, and just how that thing changed. But, man, you talk about just crazy emotions. But, you know, when you came in, we were struggling a little bit, but we got so close to Omaha in 2011. I mean, first of all, how far outside was that changeup? It seemed like it was about a foot and a half outside that Preston Tucker went and got it. But how gratifying was it for you to leave Mississippi State when you could tell this program was right there on the cusp? Yeah, that, that pitch in that location was the backdrop on my phone for a long time, um, you know. But Caleb Reed, he threw 120 pitches on Friday and, and kept us in that – or the day before, Thursday, whatever it was, and kept us in that game. And, you know, he's the one that went to, to Coach Cohen and, and Bush Thompson and said, give me the ball, I want it again. Preston Tucker, I don't know if he's still hit a ball oppo since then, but he stayed on it, credit to him, and hit an opposite, home, opposite field homer on a changeup. But especially seeing – you know, where the program is today, you know, you take a lot of pride and, you know, haven't been a part of that, you know, kind of, you look at the, the turning point and a lot of us that are on that team always talk about that. It was just a gritty group of a lot of junior college guys and, and some high school guys that were on the team that were, you know, obviously future big leaguers. And, um, you know, me and Jonathan Ogden are still really, really good friends and really close. And you know, we take a lot of pride and, and hopefully haven't had a part in, in turning that program to where it, where it is today. And, Oh, man, it was, it was a lot of fun, and we were really bad in 2010. We were like six and 24. Um, I remember Coach Burrow screaming at us the next year after bad practice or something, and all he just was screaming six and 24, six and 24. So there's a lot of motivation there, and um, you know the STC West that year. I think we came in second. We were tied with like five other teams. That went whoever won the West was like 15 and 15. So it was it was a wild ride, and it was a great year for sure. Hey, wasn't it 2010? We were in Corpus Christi, and Lane got everybody together. We had just lost to Corpus Christi. We lost to, to Oklahoma, UCLA, in the first game of a doubleheader to Corpus Christi. And Lane got everybody together and says, my dream was to always play at Mississippi State and come to Startwell, and I finally get the chance, and you guys are going to get me fired. Yes. Yeah, that happened. I mean, uh, we went, we faced Trevor Bauer that weekend. I'll never forget. We're in that the pregame meeting. We're watching video, and they're like, Hey, he's, you know, only has a fastball for a strike. The off-speed's not very good. And he strikes out the first eight hitters on, like, breaking balls, change-ups, and cutters. And we're all like, man, this dude's something. And I think I flew out to foul territory as a nine-hole hitter, and the dugout was jacked. We put one in play. But I think we ended that weekend on a win, and it was just a bunch of young guys in the fire that it obviously paid off in the long run. But I do remember that talk from Coach Burroughs. I remember waking up, like, that Sunday morning or Saturday morning that we had optional hitting. It was raining, and... Chris Burroughs was sitting on the bus, and I was the only one to show up. He was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> that was it. So that's kind of the bad place we were in at that point. You mentioned Jonathan Ogden. I think of him, and I think of uh, Jared Parks, you know, kind of 
two guys that kind of epitomized for me that tough mentality kind of guy when we were making that transition from struggling to upper-level respectability again. You played with Jared Parks before you came to Mississippi State, didn't you? Right. We played together at Meridian for a year and then uh, got two years together at Mississippi State. State again. But, and that dude, he was always a, a good hitter, a good leader, um, did a good job. And talk about toughness. Jonathan Ogden played his whole senior year with like a double sports hernia and abs ripping off his pelvis or something crazy. Ended up having surgery that next summer, but just never really said a word about it. And both those dudes, just toughness. Parks had a bad back. I think he still does and just came to work every day and got after it. Talk about Jared Parks. Jared's down at Meridian Community College now and you know, you think of Scott Deloach, who's over at Holmes now, and there's been so many guys. Of course, Amirati was at Hines uh, for a while, then he went to Southern. Now he's up with, with Nick at Kentucky. But South Mississippi was almost just littered with Mississippi State guys. And so i got to ask this question because, you know, I've, I've been around a lot of junior college baseball. I'm assuming that when you play Meridian and Parks and then Deloach and Holmes and all these guys that you know, kind of ratchets up a little bit more, don't you? Because you want to beat your friends more than you want to beat anybody else. Absolutely. You know, it's all friendly conversation before during BP and all, but, you know, when the lights turn on, it's time to go. You know, they're all really competitive. We are. You know, you don't want to lose to anybody, especially your friends. There's no doubt about that. Um, It's awesome, though, seeing how many Mississippi State guys are in this league. It's an incredible junior college system we have in Mississippi, and we're fortunate to, you know, have the opportunity to coach in it after having played at Mississippi State and and played in the system. You know, Scott got to play in Obama as well and Parks at Meridian, so we're guys that are kind of homegrown inside the system and got to go on and play at Mississippi State and then get to come back, and it's pretty fun to watch and exciting. Look back to last year, and you think about the big moments for Mississippi State that came from junior college guys that helped Mississippi State win a national championship. How gratifying is it to you as a guy who came through that system, who's back in it, to see junior college players not only making teams but thriving and being difference makers in the SEC? Absolutely. You know, it's fun to watch, especially having competed against those guys a year or two before, you know, Preston Johnson's, a, you know, coming out of Hines is a really good arm. It's from a small school in uh, Mississippi, the same school as Hunter Infro, and not many people know where that that's even at. You know, it, there's not many kids in that school, and, you know, for him to get a start that, that, you know, he might not got the opportunity if it wasn't for the junior college system, and then Tanner Leggett and Gerlin Skinner getting those big hits, and, and those are two really, really good junior college players, and you know, they just worked while they waited, and you know, it paid off for those guys. But they, they're used to the grind, right? They're used to, you know, playing long days and having long games and sitting on a bench for a while, and, and it paid off for those guys having gone through the system. So when you guys play, still doubleheaders? Is it two nines, two sevens? How do you guys play it? It's a, it's a nine and a seven now when you go into conference play, and it's a long day. It's a grind. It's something, you know, you it, it takes some getting used to. Um, that's what I think we played a single nine last year and we went home, we played at Heinz and went home. I was like, dang, that's it. <laughs> you know, it's usually a six to seven hour day. And, um, that's not even counting batting practice. That's just the playing time. So it's, it's definitely a grind, but you know, it's the system we have and it, and it works. How do you go about evaluating players in terms of going and finding the guys that fit your program? Or are you looking for guys who were, kind of already developed are you looking for guys that hey i see i can take that guy another level or is it just kind of a mix it's definitely a mix you know you you definitely have to look into the future a good bit and you know see what the projectability of that kid and you know you want to look to that the and player right he's a good ball player and he's a good kid off the 
field? Does he work hard? Is he tough? You know, you try to answer all that close questions, but also in a junior college system, you know, you, you try to do the best you can to give those guys a second chance that might have made a bad decision or done something because that's kind of what we're here for too. So it's a, it's a mix of all different backgrounds of people that are coming back from Division One baseball, Division Two baseball, and it's also guys that, you know, maybe got overlooked at a small school like Copiah Academy or something like that. So you're an old catcher, and one of the things you always hear these days is, Perhaps catchers spend too much time looking in the dugout, getting calls, uh, as opposed to learning to call a game. How much time do you spend, whether it be during practices, exhibition games, where you just say to your catcher, you know what, you guys figure it out? Yeah, and all inner squads that we do, our catchers call the game. Um, and it's huge in the development of those guys. But, you know, it's important for them to call it. But I think it's the most important for our pitchers to take ownership of what they're throwing. Um, you know, when I was a catcher, I went to Butch and Butch Thompson and was like, you know, I really want to do this. And, and it was us staying up there late at night, watching video, getting on the same page. And, but also for those guys to know if they have a question during the game, to look over and I'm here to help, you know. And But, man, I, I grew so much in this game by Coach Thompson letting Coach Cohen letting me call the game when I was a catcher there. And things I would have never learned or never thought about that I got to see from almost a coach's eye view because – they let me do that, but it came through a lot of hard work and a lot of hours spent in that office that a lot of people don't know about. And we try to do the same thing with our guys if possible, you know, and some guys, you know, necessarily don't want it. You know, they don't want to think that much into it or they want to take the thinking out of it. Um, but we always tell our guys, you know, you have the right to, to shake a pitch off because at the end of the day, you have to have conviction in what you're doing. Um, and by creating that ownership, you know, they're not coming in the dugout going, man, we should have thrown a slider right there. And if they're thinking that when they're throwing that fastball, then that fastball is not going to go where it's supposed to go anyway. But, um, you know, it's not what you throw, it's where you throw it. And uh, we're, we're big, big believers in that. Hey, Wes, always great to touch base with you, man. And uh, proud of you, proud of what you're doing right now down at Jones. You know, I appreciate that. Hopefully we get together soon and hopefully I can get up there. It's, it's tough to get up there in the spring, but we'll try to head that way and, and see you guys soon. Appreciate you, Wes. And that's Wes Thigpen, former Bulldog catcher, played at Mississippi State in 2010-2011, now the head coach at Jones College down in Jones County in the South Mississippi in the junior college ranks. It's a great conversation with Wes. And once again, this conversation brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish in the country. And this week, if you're going to Fayetteville to see Mississippi State in Arkansas, make sure you stop by the Catfish Hole. You can do it in Alma, Arkansas, or you can do it in Fayetteville. Both places, fantastic. The Catfish Hole serving that great Heartland Catfish. Charlie and I will come back. We'll talk to former Bulldog Chris Maloney. Spent a long time in minor league baseball as a manager back in the Jackson area. And so we'll talk to Chris on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, made right here in the state of Mississippi, down on Highway 49 in Florence at Country Meat Packers. They've got the great storefront, the butcher shop there. They're expanding that butcher shop on Highway 49. It's just south of Florence on Highway 49, and it's amazing how that brand continues to grow at Country Pleasing. All the different varieties, and they're all fantastic. 
If you're coming to the ballpark next weekend when State takes on LSU, make sure you go by and fill up at the butcher shop, bring it up here, put it on the grill in the outfield. Or if you're getting ready to watch State in Arkansas this weekend on the tube and want to do something outside on the patio to tailgate for the road games, make sure you put some country pleasing on the grill. And this conversation with our good friend Chris Maloney, brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. So let's talk to former Bulldog Chris Maloney. He joins us. Hey, I appreciate you joining us. And you know, Charlie and I have been talking. Charlie and I talked to Bruce Castoria last week, and we were talking about the. Oh yeah, I heard that interview. That was great. Yeah, we talked to Bruce and about seventy nine to to eighty two, and we just talked to him about kind of everything kind of falling in place in seventy nine and the excitement level that it brought. Was was that one of the reasons when you when you start looking back when one of the reasons you came to Mississippi State growing up in Jackson, was it because of the, you know, the fevered pitch that that 79 team created or was it, uh, was it something else? No, that was, that was definitely the impetus for, uh, you know, me getting fired up about Mississippi State and Ron Polk. You know, once I met him, I was hooked. Uh, there's nobody like Ron Polk. He's the dean of all college coaches. I don't care what anybody says. He's the best. There's nothing, nobody like that guy. His personality, his uh, enthusiasm, the way he t- teaches, and, uh, you know, I couldn't have had a better guy to play for. And uh, once I met that guy and saw how they're doing, I, I knew I, right where I wanted to go to school. Bart and I sometimes talk that the the thing you remember about sports, everything seems bigger when you're like 10, 11, 12. And so that 10, 11, 12, 13 age group put me right there 1981 to 1985 and some of my favorite memories are those teams 81 82 83 we've talked about the world series in 81 going to austin in 83 from you when you look back what's your big memory from the time you were there oh gosh you know i can't i can't point to any one time i mean it was when you think about it those are some of the best years of your life those those four years we were we just were all so close in the dorm. Uh, you know, how they had it in those days was you stayed in the dorm the first three years unless you were married. And uh, then you, you, you got out your senior year. So we just bonded very well, all those guys. You know, I, I remember the 81 team. I, I hardly played at all. I only got a handful of at-bats. But that 81 team was, was super. You know, we had Susie pitching. We had uh, Bruce hitting homers. We had, uh, you know, Mark Gillespie was – just an animal up there and uh you know it was just a lot of fun and, and going to the world series i just remember walking in there we all shaved our heads in in 81 well most of the team did i just remember walking into the stadium and and john shrewsbury had his boom box on his shoulder and he was playing the rolling stones give me shelter and uh people are looking at us like we were from mars that's great so after college did you know you wanted to be a manager? Of course, you spent a long time in in minor league baseball, then in the big leagues as a manager. When did you realize that you wanted to be a coach? Well, you know, uh, my first dream was to play professional baseball, and that came true. And then, then I wanted to play in big leagues, and I didn't make it to the big leagues. And, uh, you know, once, once uh, I was out of it as a player, I decided I want to stay in the game and so I called Lee Thomas, who was the farm director for the last team I played for, which is the St. Louis Cardinals. And I said, Lee, I'd love to stay in the game. I know my future is done as a player, but I would like to uh, get back into 
baseball as a coach. And he says, well, if something comes available, I'll call you. And he did about uh, a month or so later. And um, I was off and running in 1988. I was coaching the Springfield Cardinals, making $8,000 for the whole year. So one of the things I think back of in your career at Mississippi State, 1983, you get off to the good start, you get sick, and all of a sudden Will Clark starts playing. Um, and so you end up splitting time with him kind of down the way. I tell people I've always thought that, particularly as like in the minor leagues or as a base coach in the in the pros, that you're about part psychologist. How much drawing on that experience, how much did that maybe help you down the line as you helped guys kind of fight through tough parts in their career? Yeah, that's, you know, once you become a coach, and, and especially when you become a manager, and uh, the Cardinals did it tremendous job of, of training guys to be managers. George Kissel identified me as a coach. And he said, I think you could be a, ma- a good manager one day down the road. And he took me under his wing and, and just started teaching me everything. But, and, and he, you know, he was big on the parts of, of coaching that are, are not, you know, blocking and tackling. It's, it's, uh, you got to find a way to get to every player. He, he always had a saying, every player is a lock and you got to find the key. And, uh, you know, sometimes you had to be, uh, you know, especially when the first few years I managed, you had to be, uh, you know, part den mother to those kids because you're getting kids out of high school or, you know, the first year in pro ball out of college. And uh, they, they've never, a lot of them have never really been away from home and on their own, so to speak, and uh, without any really supervision, you know. And so you, you had to, uh, you know, you just had to figure out, what worked with every player and uh you know back to talking about uh will clark you know the the funny thing was is you know how how coach pope did it in the in the, his system was you, you played in the in the fall and whoever played the best in the fall you know was going to start and uh, i knew will was going to be a tremendous player you know even then but i was a senior and he was a freshman and i think i played like the first 40 something games there and then i I came down with a bad bug before the LSU series, and he put Will in there. And I think he had a couple of home runs and had about eight RBIs over those three games. <laughs> and I came back, and Coach Polk said, well, I hate to do this, but I'm probably going to DH you a little bit more and let Will play first base. And he's a little taller than you, and he's a little bigger target. And <laughs> so, But I saw the writing on the wall, but I always, I always uh, rag Will. I said, you know, I'm the only guy ever kept you on the bench. <laughs> hey, you, you talk about managing at, at the single A, the double A, the triple A level. And one of the things I've always kind of wanted to know is when you're managing at those levels, how much input does the big league club affect the way that you manage? Oh, it's it's tremendous. You know, I, I always liken it to, uh, you know, the minor league club was the, the worker bees and the, the big league club's the queen bee. You know, when she needs honey, you got to have it ready. And, uh, you know, you're always uh, managing guys, especially the pitching staff with, uh, with the eye of, you know, if something happens at the big club and they need a pitcher, especially at AAA, because that's where it falls on you. And I can remember many nights in AAA where uh, they say, okay, we're going to take your closer, your setup man, and your best starter, you know. And you're sitting down there going, well, dang, we had a pretty good thing going here, but no more. But, you, you, you know, that's part of the gig. You didn't complain about it. You never said boo. You just did your job, and uh, you know, you know. But the big thing was is you're always trying to 
you always manage players with the eye on development. And what I mean by that is sometimes, you know, I might have a better option on the bench for like a pinch hitter for a guy, but this is a guy we like as a prospect, so you don't pinch hit for him. Or you're going to leave a pitcher in there for his development to try to get through a tough, tough time, even though you might have a better option than the bullpen to maybe get you out of that inning. You've got to manage the game with development in mind. When you talk about developing players, it seems like guys are getting more and more work now early with swing coaches and things like that that maybe they didn't have when you were getting started in the game. How much harder is it to deal with players now than when you first got started in, in coaching? Oh, it's it's way different. Uh, you know, back when I, when I first started managing, we didn't have a pitching guy with us or, or we didn't have a hitting guy. I had one coach with us. You know, it was our job every day, and uh, we, you know, we'd split batting practice between the two of us, and we split the extra hitting with the two of us. So we were throwing all the, you know, and and you really, it was, you know, things are more scientific now than they've ever been. There's there guys, you know, they have the video, they have the track man, they have the, uh, you know, all these things that measure all these analytical things about your swing and how to generate your most, you know, effective power and. All that back in the other, you know, back when I started, you'd look at a guy and you watch him hit and say, well, this guy doing it right, he's producing as much power as he could produce. And then other guys, you say, well, this guy's doing this wrong. But uh, it's, it's a lot more scientific now than it was back when I first started. Just looking in the minor league game, and so many times people want to draw the comparisons between minor league baseball and Division One baseball at the Power Five at the highest level, say the SEC, and where does the SEC compare when it comes to minor league baseball? Can you draw any comparison at all, or if you if there is a comparison, where is SEC baseball when you start lining it up as far as minor leagues? Well, I you know it's hard to put a a definite marker on it. You know, I would I would you know if a guy's a good college player. He can probably step in right there and compete at high A to A ball level right off the bat and, and do fine and, and progress from there. Maybe maybe double A, you know, but th- there's a difference between a pro and a, and a college guy. There's no, no doubt about it. You spent a number of years with the St. Louis Cardinals, coaching first base, coaching third base. What do base coaches do? What do they do during the week? What do they do aside from coaching that base? Well, my job uh, when I was when I first was on the big league staff, uh, I was the first base coach. I had uh, the outfield. I set the outfield defense, and I uh, took all the pitchers from the opposing teams, and uh, I had all their times, all their pickoff moves, any tendencies they had to, that that we might could exploit to, uh, you know, say cadence wise. Say a guy, you know, he he doesn't know he's doing it, but every time he comes set. He, once he comes set, he never picks. You know, some guys will pick on the way up. Some guys will pick on the way down. Some guys only pick from the set. Some guys, you know, you can count 1,001 almost every time, and, and that's his cadence. And that's when you can steal. You know, you can time him. And, uh, you know, things like that, setting the outfield defense, uh, th- those were my jobs when I was uh, in St. Louis. Okay, when we talk about it, and we're talking to Chris Maloney, former Bulldog, and spent a lot of time as a manager at the professional level. So when people talk about bench coaches, what is the role of, say, a bench coach versus a hitting coach then to a manager? 
okay, a bench coach, uh, his responsibilities pregame is he sets up uh, he sets up all the, the work for the day. He has everybody's numbers. He communicates with all the players as far as anything that's going on they need to know. Like, uh, you know, it's raining at the ballpark right now. It doesn't look like we're going to play. You know, that very rarely happens. But uh, his main job is to communicate with the players, and then he's got to set up the lineup, and he's gets, he gets all the charts together for the manager. And then once the game starts, depending on the manager, he will, uh, you know, offer input on anything that he sees that, uh, you know, the manager may not be seeing at that time. You know, he just he, he's a sounding board for a manager. A manager might say, well, they've got uh, two lefties and a righty coming up this inning. Should we deploy our lefties to get these, try to get two of these three guys? You know, you think it's worth the shot because they're split up, lefty, righty, lefty, and this righty's got power versus lefty pitchers. Do you think we should try this and, and try to squeeze him through? Or, you know, what are your thoughts? Stuff along that line. So you spend time now working with some younger players. I'm always curious from a guy who knows baseball and, and being an old baseball dad myself. What's the thing that you have to deprogram most from people like me when you get a young player? The, the hard thing about being a dad, you know, especially in the game of baseball, is, is dads want, want their kids to have every opportunity to excel. And they will, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that really doesn't make a lot of sense as far as trying to teach a kid. I would say that, you know, they get a little too involved now. Dads get too involved and and the best thing, until the kid gets a little older, you know, just let him play and figure a lot of things out on his own, which is what what I used to, you know, when I was a kid, I, nope, I never had a hitting coach. I was always trying to figure things out myself. And then the other thing is, is, is you know, I think as a player, you got to put yourself in the kid's shoes. All a kid wants to do is make his dad proud. And the game of baseball is so hard. Dads would just kind of, get themselves out of the situation so to speak and just let the kid play and if he does good nice going if he doesn't do good say hey get him next time don't dwell on that stuff because you know kids feel pressure and there's enough pressure in baseball it's hard enough game as it is without the addition of dang i'm letting my dad down so coaching in the minor leagues it's a double a triple a level and when they when a kid gets to that point pass high a pass you know pass single a pass high a when they get to double a triple a you know, guys that have played college versus guys that came in out of high school or Latin America. Can you tell a difference in a guy that played college baseball versus a guy that just came in? Uh, no. If you get to Double A and you can have some success, some success in Double A, you 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 got a chance to play in the big leagues because uh, you know the nature of the beast in in Double A is you're seeing a lot of the same teams a lot. You know, you're playing teams in your division. They're getting a book on you. You're getting a book on them, so it, it's harder to compete. And if, if, but there's really no difference than. Uh, but there again, you know, the first year guys, you you can tell a, you know, if you got a first year kid that's coming out of high school versus a kid that's a first year pro ball, as he's played three years of college ball, yeah, he's going to be better, more advanced, more polished than a high school kid, but. Uh, you know, once they get to double-A, things are starting to even out, and they're just trying to figure things out, and they want to get to triple-A. If they can, they can handle triple-A, they're, they're ready to play in the big leagues. I want to ask you about uh, a couple of guys that you played with. One of the things, Bart, and I always have fun doing is talking about guys who were maybe underrated in our memories. 
And I go back, and one of the guys that really jumps out at me as being a great Mississippi State baseball player was Brad Winkler. What do you remember about Brad Winkler? Well, I remember Brad Winkler was a, a tremendous center fielder. He ran well. You know, his nickname was the Bull. He was strong, and uh, when he got a hold of a ball, he, he could put a charge in it with anybody. And uh, Brad and I played against each other in uh, our second year in pro ball, both of us. Uh, I was in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and he was with Greensboro, which was the uh, Yankees. And I'll never forget that uh, they were beating us one time. It's probably one of the highlights of my minor league career. We're playing against them, and uh, he was playing right field. They got a three-run lead going into the bottom of the ninth. We're at home, and uh, I had a walk-off grand slam to beat him. <laughs> and he, he was mad. And he said, I can't believe you did that. Brad was a good player. Brad was a good player. I was going to ask you, too, looking back at that pitching staff in 83, you know, you talk about playing fall and having to perform. Was there anybody on that staff that you just kind of hated to see in a midweek scrimmage? You know, a guy that gave me a lot of trouble, and he was a he was a tough pitcher for us, was Hans Herzog. A lefty, you know, he's a finesse pitcher, moved the ball around. He had some pretty good success in, 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 in the pro baseball. He was uh, – he knew how to pitch, you know, and he was he was a tough guy to get a hold of. He he didn't he didn't give you anything. I was a switch hitter, and uh, he was tough on me when I was from the right side. Before we let you go, I got to ask you this: longtime Cardinal system, how's it feel to see Albert Pujols going back to St. Louis for another tour? Oh, that's great! I think that's just super that he go he's going back there, and uh, you know he meant so much to that city. All the damage he did, he was. You know, isn't he? He's out. He's close to 700 home runs. That's pretty crazy. You know, he's a super guy, and you know, I'm just tickled pink that he's he's going to have the birds on the bat for uh, his last season. Hey, we could do this all day, and uh, but we we know you're busy and got things to do. We appreciate you joining us. All right, buddy. We all have a good one. <laughs> hey, Mark, pr- Charlie, thanks for having me. Oh, no doubt. And that's Chris Maloney. Former minor league manager. He was a manager for the AAA Redbirds in Memphis at one time. The Mississippi Braves at one time was on the bench in St. Louis as a first base coach and a longtime member of the Cardinals organization and right now back in Jackson and a great baseball ambassador in the state of Mississippi. And Chris Maloney, just a great all-around guy. So great to talk to Chris. And that, once again, that conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing made right here in the state of Mississippi. Every time you're grilling, you got to throw some sticks of Country Pleasing on the grill. Charlie and I will come back with more. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back, final segment of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. Great conversations with our good friends Wes Thigpen and Chris Maloney. All right, Charlie, this weekend, the Arkansas Razorbacks will have our deep dig brought to you by Tracks Plus on Thursday. And so, hey, just looking at the stats, this is an Arkansas team, started out slow. They've won 14 of 15 right now. They lost against Missouri in the Saturday game last weekend. But this is an Arkansas team that hasn't hit it as well as we thought they would. But, man, they've pitched it pretty good. Yeah, their starting pitching has been really good, and they've had to overcome some adversity to get there. They lost their number one guy, Paulette, 
before the season ever started. Everybody just kind of slid up a spot and really haven't missed a beat pitching it. They defend it really well. And I, I think one of the stats, we'll talk about this on the deep dig, I'm sure. What is it they've allowed this year? Three unearned runs? Three unearned runs all season? That's defending the field right there, man. Well, they defend it well, but their starting pitching on the weekend has not had a single unearned run. I mean, you talk about defending behind your horses, and that's one of the things that's made Arkansas go so good. Jalen Battles at short, Robert Moore at second base, probably the best middle infield in the SEC. And so, yeah, this is going to be a challenge. We'll talk about this more on our Thursday Deep Dig, brought to you by Trax Plus. Trax Plus, of course, with four locations, three in Mississippi, Hickory, Columbus, Starkville, then in Summit, then in Alexandria, Louisiana. Daniel Bounds, Fred Fulton over in Columbus, Ken Crosby in Hickory, Gresh Howell down in Summit, and then Hoop Weems down in Alexandria, Louisiana. Our good friends at Trax Plus with that great Demi Seamoff mulching heads that go on that Barco equipment, Saney mini excavators and excavators. We talked about the touch a truck earlier on, and man, I, I, like you said, Charlie, I got a, a message last weekend. They had one in Jackson, a touch a truck, and the kid was up in that Trax Plus excavator just as happy as he could be i'm just as happy if i'm in an excavator at any time if i'm in a saney excavator i'm ecstatic and of course they sell massey ferguson tractors and implements at all the locations other than startville and columbus so go by and see our friends at tracks plus all right so yeah going to fayetteville the thing that stands out to me and looking at arkansas just real quick charlie is this is normally an Arkansas team that hits a bunch of home runs. That's the difference with us and them right now is we're hitting a bunch of home runs, and they've only hit 21 home runs this season. Now, one of the interesting factors that goes into that is just how windy it's been in the games they've played. They've had to play a lot of games where the wind's working against them. That's a team, at the end of the year, just pull it up. Guys like Moore, who's hit two right now, that guy's going to be hitting 15, 16 before he's done. That's the thing I think if I'm Arkansas, I'm telling myself that we can have guys do what a Rowdy Jordan did last year, do what a Tanner Allen did last year. They hadn't been playing bad, but there's still a lot more upside. I just hope we don't find that upside this weekend. Charlie, and where you look at their starting pitching, it's been very similar to our starting pitching. They've been getting about six innings out of all three starters, and we've been getting right at six innings. We, we did last weekend. Six, six, and five and two-thirds. And so it's going to be a big weekend matchup between our starting pitching and theirs. Arguably the most pressure that's been put on our staff in quite a while, wouldn't you think? In terms of the matchups, what we've seen so far, for the most part, if you look over the weekend, the, the opponent might have had the advantage one game, kind of a wash on another, and then on Sunday we have the advantage. I, I think this is a weekend where – our hitters are going to be facing some really good pitching, and the key for our pitchers is going to be not let that get in their heads too much, but they're not going to be able to count on a ton of run support this weekend, I'm afraid. I think you're right. Hey, enjoyed it as always. Thanks to our great friends at Farm Bureau, Tracks Plus, Startwell.org, Mississippi's College Town, our good friends at Bank First, and once again, Country Pleasing Sausage and Heartland Catfish. And so for all of them, hey, Charlie, I guess we'll see you tomorrow on the Deep Dig. Yeah, right back here in a day. We'll break down Arkansas just a little bit harder. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.